Welcome to Dominion Today with Kevin and Chantel Davis, a podcast where you will learn how to discover your calling, live your purpose, and fulfill your destiny. By listening to these episodes, you'll build the confidence you need to operate in dominion and authority so you can walk in the revelation of the victory that belongs to you in Christ Jesus. Now, here's your host, Kevin Davis. And so really what I want to do tonight is continue where we left things off this this morning and then I'm going to pray for every person if you brought something here with you as a point of contact I said this morning that we're going to be praying over those letters we're going to be praying over those agreements those contracts whatever it is that you've brought as a point of contact we're going to be praying over that tonight because I'm believing and agreeing with you that tonight will be the night today will be the day even collectively from this morning, that this day, this Sunday, the 28th of January, 2024, marking the day that you totally and utterly destroyed that spirit of poverty that's been causing havoc, not only in your life, but as far as you could have seen with your own eyes in the generations gone by, let today be the start of a brand new and a glorious future that awaits you in Jesus. And so if you have your notebooks and things with you, you can, you can make a couple of notes because this is quite important is that there are certain keys to unlocking the secrets to prosperity. Now, when we use the word prosperity, it is not as though it is just or simply referring to financial prosperity. Although that is what I'm going to be touching on tonight. When God speaks of prosperity, that God delights in the prosperity of His people, it is not only financial prosperity. It is all-encompassing. You see, when God goes to work, He has got this holistic point of view. As He goes about things holistically. Because what use is it for you to prosper in one area but then there's other areas in your life that speak of death and calamity and chaos and confusion and so when God speaks of prosperity it speaks of all encompassing all out prosperity and so here's a couple of thoughts that I want to just share with you seven of them number one spiritual prosperity this is something that is only to be found in Jesus Christ You cannot ever prosper spiritually by approaching things pertaining to the realm of the spirit by any other means, by going and knocking on any other door but the door who is Christ. For Jesus Christ said, He is the way, He is the truth, and He is the life. No one comes to the Father who really is the fullness of all except through him and so there is no 
form of enlightenment that can ever truly be found or experienced or encountered outside of the person of Jesus. And so Jesus is the only one who is able to open up the door to spiritual prosperity. Number two, emotional prosperity. This speaks of peace and joy that transcends human understanding. So in other words, even if there is no reason to be joyous, hey, you are joyous. When people interact with you and they see you smiling, they see you are joking, and they would almost have to remind you, like, didn't this situation just happen? You know, didn't that situation just happen? Yes, but why are you happy? Hey, because there is a joy and there is a peace that I am able to tap into that transcends human understanding and reasoning. So that's what we're talking about. Accessing a higher realm. Because God wants you to prosper, not just spiritually, but God wants you to prosper emotionally. For you to get into that space of being emotionally stable. To not have to struggle with all kinds of mental disorders, mental dysfunction. Do not have to contend with fear and anxiety and depression and despair. For those are things that come straight from the pit of hell. That's not God's portion for you. Number three, mental prosperity. Now you might say, what's the difference? Well, here it is referring to divine revelation, revelation knowledge. Having the mental capacity to be able to understand, to drink in the word of all of that which was shared this morning. Because sadly, there are those who would listen to that which I shared this morning. Not you, not those who typically are here, but those who watch on YouTube, watch on Facebook with a critical ear and a critical eye. They will hear, but they will not hear. They will see, but they will not see. It's as though it just goes, boom right over their heads goes in goes out it does not change them why because they will not allow that word to challenge them challenge equals change people resist the challenge but then complain when there's no change because the challenge will also bring some pain and discomfort with it I mean, I've got some friends here tonight who's, who's some bodybuilders. You don't even have to ask who they are. You can listen to scene. Uh, Antonio? Donovan, you know what I'm saying? All the years of rugby. Where you have to push through the discomfort to be able to achieve the desired results. But in life, people reach the end of their capacity. They reach their limit. They reach their pain threshold. Or they just reach that level of comfort. And they do not go above or beyond that level of comfort. And yet everything that you've ever wanted or desired is found just outside of your comfort zone. Number four. 
physical prosperity. What is that? It speaks of divine health. Divine health. There is a difference between divine healing and divine health. What is the difference? The difference is, is that in order for you to operate in or to utilize or for you to appropriate divine health, it requires that there is an ailment to begin with. There is a problem to begin with. And yes, divine health or healing, I should rather say, divine healing is accessible through the person of Jesus. For by his stripes you are healed. But where in the Bible does it say that you get sick, pray for healing, and you are healed? You get sick, pray for healing, get healed. Get sick, pray for healing, get healed. If that is as far as your mental prosperity then goes, the revelation knowledge that you are walking in goes, I understand. But I'm here to challenge a paradigm even in that area to ask this question. Whoever said that you have to get sick to begin with? Because you can appropriate divine healing or you can make the decision and undergo a paradigm shift to say, you know what, from today, I am appropriating that which is mine my portion and I will not just operate in or utilize or appropriate divine healing I will walk from this day in divine health that it speaks of physical prosperity and that's what we have access to that is what we, that is what you have access to. Number five, relational prosperity. What is that? It speaks about experiencing true fulfillment in all relationships. Fulfillment in your relationships. Not just in your marriage. I mean, here at Dominion, we want to ensure that every married couple walk in that place of true love true biblical love i'm talking first corinthians 13 kind of love but ook sê dat die liefde hou nie boek van die kwaad nie love does not keep score love does not go about tit for tat you do this, I do that. You do not do this, I will not do that. That we will love the way that Jesus has demonstrated love to us. And in the confines of marriage that is sacred, that is a covenant, that we will adhere to Scripture as it says, Husbands, love your wives. Not meaning you, husband, love your wives, but husbands, plural, love your wives, plural. Not one husband, many wives. Or one wife, but many girlfriends. So husbands, love your wives. 
as Christ loved the church and laid down his life for her. In other words, manne, jy moet jou vrou so lief het, dat jy weet dat as daar een situasie ooit ontstaan, dat jy bereid sal wees om jou leven neer te leef vir haar. In English then, to make sure that everyone hears and knows what I'm saying. Husbands, if it is required of you to lay down your life for your wife, that there would not even be a question that you will do so without hesitation. Because as we do that, we actually reflect and represent the love that Jesus has for his bride, the church. And that is why marriage is sacred. That is why marriage is so powerful. Why? Because it is, call it an earthly reflection of a spiritual reality and a bond, a covenant between Christ as the bridegroom and the church, we as the bride. And so even in our marriage, we are to truly reflect and represent our King Jesus and the way of the kingdom. And then I'm sure you know the other side of that coin, so to speak, where it then says, but wives, that you are to submit to your husbands. Now, I believe that any wife would be able to say, I've got no problem in submitting to a husband who loves me to the point that without hesitation, he would be willing to lay down his life for me. For too long, there have been men, even from the pulpit, that all they could ever preach was the latter part. Wives, you have to submit to your husbands. No, no, no. How does it start? Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and laid down his life for her. That's how it starts. Then, wives, submit to your husbands. And so the Lord wants us to experience and enter in and access relational prosperity. And as I said, this speaks of true fulfillment in all relationships, not just between a married couple, but the relationship between you and your children, the relationship between you and your parents, the relationship between you and your siblings, the relationship even between you and your boss, the relationship between you and your fellow employees or your colleagues, the relationship between you and your neighbors, your mere means, your master. Number six. Is what is referred to as accomplishment prosperity. What is that? It's also referred to as self-actualization. Living a life of fulfillment. Fulfillment. That is where your cup overflows. Because you are content. Some people would say, well, that is what it means to be financially free. <laughs> but you're content. You're happy because you are fulfilled. Self-actualization. That is also the top of what is referred to as Maslow's hierarchy. Fulfillment as a result of God's favor in and upon and through your life. And it is only then, number seven, 
that we get to financial prosperity. And so it is sad that whenever we actually say prosperity, people tend to just naturally think we talk about financial prosperity. Which, yes, also encompasses material things. And there's nothing wrong with that. But really, my desire for all of us as part of dominion, that in order for us to truly grab a hold and to go into all of the world with this dominion mandate, is that our lives will begin to speak of prosperity in every single one of these seven specific areas. You say, that sounds... But it is attainable. Why? Because it is your heritage. It is your inheritance. It is that which Jesus has come to pay the ultimate price for. It is your portion. It is yours. It is a gift that is available for you. And it's available for the taking right here and right now. It's yours. So have your pick. Grab a hold of it. Take it. Utilize it. And live it. A lot of us would not need an introduction to the concept and reality of poverty. But let me just shed some light on what poverty actually is. Number one, poverty is a spirit. Poverty is a curse. Poverty can also be described as the devil's anointing. So poverty is a spirit. Poverty is a curse. There are many people, as I said this morning, who believe there's something noble about being poor. They will deprive themselves of luxuries because they have made this vow of poverty. And it is so sad that people think that to truly encounter God, they need to deprive themselves of certain things. Now, while certain things, yes, certainly is not conducive for an awesome atmosphere for the Lord to come and move, and it's not conducive for the outbreak of signs, wonders, and miracles, I agree, I understand, and that's true. But to also strip yourself of everything, where pretty much it comes down to you having to live in a cave, eat insects and cover yourself with leaves or fur or whatever you can find so that you can somehow get closer to God. That is nothing more than false humility. That is nothing more than a counterfeit religious experience that leads someone to believe that when you deprive yourself, when you make yourself as to be nothing, that somehow God then will be everything. But that's a lie. And I can categorically state that it is a lie because I have read this book. And Psalm 
35 verse 27 says that God delights in the prosperity of his people. For every good and perfect gift comes from above, granted unto us by the Father of lights. That is what the Word of God says, unless you have some sort of edited version of the Bible. But that's the Word of God. Number two, poverty is a dream and a destiny destroyer. Poverty is a dream and a destiny destroyer. Number three, poverty manifests from the inside out. Let me say that again. Poverty manifests from the inside out. You can put Gucci, Prada, Versace, Armani, any other Italian name on a person. But if that person thinks poor, they will speak poor. They will act poor. They will carry themselves as a poor man. Because as a man thinketh, in his heart, so is he. So the clothes do not make the man. It's how you carry yourself. It's what you think. And what you think stems from the revelation knowledge that you have. The revelation that has come by means of impartation. Why tonight is so important? Why tonight, and that which I'm sharing with you, I'm telling you, you just sitting here, you just receiving this, you just drinking this in, it's doing things in the realm of the Spirit. So poverty manifests from the inside out. Number four, poverty is the manifestation of thinking poor. I just actually said that then. Number five, poverty will not affect where you spend eternity so in other words you can be poor and still go to heaven but listen to this poverty will not affect where you spend eternity but it may for others let me say this again poverty may not determine where you spend eternity but it may for others Now, what does that mean? You see, when we truly read the Word of God, it speaks of the fact that we are to be blessed, to be a blessing. The Word that came to Abram was very clear that he would become the father of many nations. And that through his prosperity, through him being a blessing, the world will be blessed as a result of him entering into the realm of blessing. Because when you carry prosperity, when you carry blessing, you are able not only then to meet your own needs, but you are also able to meet the needs of others. You are able to put finances as investments into the kingdom of God. Of which the dividends, yes, comes back to you. But the dividends, the true riches, and the true return on investment is not really 
quantifiable in terms of the monetary value that is coming back because it's not about that. It's about the number of souls that have come into the kingdom of God. Because when you truly consider this, the most valuable commodity then, not like it's commodity, but using that language in inverted commas, it's not gold, not silver, not platinum, not uranium, it's souls, souls. You cannot take your gold, your silver, your platinum, your whatever with you into eternity, but what can you take? What is the one and only thing you can take with you? It's souls. And that is one of the reasons why, if it is, that you might still need a reason. Even if you were to be that person, I've met so many of them who say, you know what? I don't need a home that is worth millions. I don't need a fancy car. I don't need to eat lobster and caviar every night. I don't, I understand. But the problem is you're still making it about yourself. Even if you do not desire those things, that's fine. But why not make the decision that even if you are then that person, you are content with 200,000 rands a year. You're fine. You're happy. Okay, great. Why not then believe the Lord that this year you're going to surpass 1 million in income? Then still live on the 200,000. But hey, now you've got 800,000 plus to sow a seed. Can you see the paradigm shift? The shifting in the mindset. So if you meet some of those heathen cousins of yours that might have this outlook on life, well, you know what? We don't need so much in any way. You know, we can't even take these things with us. Okay, whoop-de-doo. So if that is your perspective and you're happy to live on the 300,000 or the 500,000 or the million a year, why not then 10x that? Why not believe that this year you're going to reach and even surpass 10 million rands as income that is being generated in this year. Still live on the million that you need. But now you've got a seed of nine million to sow into the kingdom of God. We're in the kingdom of God when you put that, I mean, the Lord already just begins to multiply that seed even further. Because you see, the church is able to do with a little what the world has to do and can do and do do with much. <laughs> then number six, poverty can keep someone hostage. Even to the point where they believe that there is no way out. And it is sadly at that point where many of them then decide to rather just end it. as a result of poverty and when you look at the the total destructiveness of poverty it becomes very clear as to why we can adamantly say that it is a spirit that it is a curse and as much as we might even feel justified in defending the position of poverty
because that's what we've always known. That's what we've ever known. And if you do not want to break that spirit, or if you do not want to release that, or if you do not want to overcome that, well, then it will always be there. But I know that every single one of you, because I, come on, man, you, you're part of dominion. You're here tonight. You could have been anywhere. You could have listened to whoever is on, but you're here. Because I know that you mean business with God. And that is why God means business with you. In Luke 1.37, it says, For with God nothing is ever impossible, and no word from God shall be without power or impossible of fulfillment. Let me say it again. For with God nothing is ever impossible, and no word from God shall be without power or impossible of fulfillment. And so no matter what the financial situation may be, for you as an individual, for you as a couple, for you as a household, for you as a business, for you as an organization, a ministry, doesn't matter. Know that God has the ability to even in one night totally and utterly shift things, move things around, turn it all around in your favor. As I said this morning, I've seen the Lord do it. And I've seen him since do it for people over and over and over again. With man, it might be impossible. You might have reached your limit. You've exhausted your abilities, your knowledge, your resources, maybe even your strength. You're done. But even in the same spirit, as Simon said to Jesus, we tried exhaustingly all night. We toiled all night. Got nothing to show for it. Will you lower your net again? Yeah, but Jesus, I tried. I'm so tired. Will you lower your net again? And so hope and faith is rising, even in this place tonight. For I see many people who have not just put down the pen, they've closed the book, thinking it's done, thinking it's over. But will you muster the faith and the strength? I know you're tired, I know you're weary. But will you muster the faith and muster the strength to give it one more shot? This time, Jesus is with you in the boat. And that makes all the difference. In Job 36 verse 15, it says that he delivereth the poor in his affliction and openeth their eyes in oppression. Let me say this again. He delivers them, the poor in their affliction. What is deliver? That is like a snatching away. That is like a pulling away. That is like a tugging away. In other words, it can be likened to you not looking as you cross 
the street and you're about to step in front of a truck and as you take that step there's someone that just plucks you out of the way that delivers you from that destructive force that is heading towards you that is what God is saying that is what he's doing because the second part speaks of this and he opens their ears in oppression There is an opening up so that this time you can hear what the Spirit of the Lord is saying to you. So that you do not have to repeat the same mistake again. In Deuteronomy 15, how I love this, verse 4 and 5. This is coming from the Amplified. It says, but there will be no poor among you, for the Lord will surely bless you. In the land which the Lord your God gives you for an inheritance to possess. Now pay close attention. This is God speaking in the book of Deuteronomy. This is referred to as one of the books of Moses. The law of Moses. The first, one of the, the first five books, obviously being the fifth book of the Bible. And so then with five books under an old covenant, God declares over his people that there shall be no poor among you. That is not only God's declaration and decree, that is his expectation. Why? Because God delights in the prosperity of his people. So in other words, when God's people are suffering, the opposite then is true. Instead of delight, what would that be? Despair? Although that is not something that you can attribute to God. Because when it comes to God, I mean, there's no despair in Him. But nonetheless, God delights in the prosperity of His people. For God said, let there be no poor among you. For the Lord will surely bless you. He will surely bless you. He will surely bless you. He will surely bless you. And I want you to grab a hold of this. You say, well, that, you know, this was made available to the Jewish people. I'm not a Jew. You might say, I'm this, I'm that, I'm what? I'm South African. I'm living in 2024. I'm not living there 5,000 years ago. But the Bible refers to the Jewish people in that context as a stiff-necked people because they did not listen they did not listen they did not heed to the voice of God that's what the Bible says and despite those things despite being a stiff-necked people it's a mooi woord eindelijk maar net verharig gaan ok, kom ons sê het nou maar net recht uit in Afrikaans wil jy luister nie, stubborn stubborn don't want to listen. Some of you are like shocked, like who come past the Kevin who did say? Well, that's what it is. Stubborn. Don't want to listen. Stiff neck. And so when you consider the fact that God understood what kind of people he's dealing with under an old covenant, 
where he knew the God who sees the end from the beginning knew, hey, there's coming a better covenant based on even better promises with Jesus Christ, my son, my one and only son, being the eternal high priest who will not come with the blood of goats or lambs or oxen or whatever else, but will come into that holy place once and for all with his blood. And so if God is able to, under an old covenant with a stiff-necked people who refuse to listen, who refuse to obey His commandments and listen and adhere to His decrees, under an old covenant makes the declaration that irrespective of all of that, there shall be no poor among you, for I, the Lord, will ensure that surely you will be blessed. But then there are some Christians today in 2024, a new covenant, a better covenant based on better promises with Jesus Christ as a high priest say, well, you know what? Poverty is our portion. You know, that's all we've ever known. That's all. How can we be so foolish? Do not believe that lie. For the Lord will surely bless you in the land which the Lord your God gives you for an inheritance to possess. Someone say possess. That speaks of the fact that you take something into possession. That you possess something. That you own something. God wants you to own land. He wants you to own homes. He wants you to own, not just rent. He wants you to establish and to build and not just sweat inside of a factory. That is God's desire. That you will inherit, that you will possess, grab a hold of the promise He has made. If only then, here's the condition, as I said this morning, conditions. If only you carefully listen to the voice of the Lord your God to do watchfully all these commandments which I command you this day. And so when we consider this, that which is required for us to unlock the secrets to prosperity, let me just stand still quickly with some of these terms as it is used in this verse. Starts off with this, that there will be no poor among you. So when we're obedient to his instructions, when we hold fast to the confession of our faith, there will be no poor among us. In this verse, in Deuteronomy 15.5, it provides us with the specifics on how to fight poverty. It says this, if only you carefully listen to the voice of the Lord your God, to do watchfully all these commandments which I command you this day. Now again, there will be those who will say, well, I'm free from the law. I'm under grace. The principles remain. There are certain things that we just, I mean, it's clear. That's law. That's under the law. But then there are certain things that remain as a principle. It's a principle. And so we have to ensure that the things that we find in the Word of God 
that are principles, that we adhere to those principles. Because we so quickly, when we hear that there shall be no poor among you, we're so quick to sort of think the way that we might think in the 2020s, where that is the work and the responsibility of the government. The government needs to look after the poor. Well, as much as government must and should do what they must do and should do about the poor in the country, let's be honest, it is time for some real meaningful change in this nation where we stop just giving people fish, but we actually take the time to teach them how to fish. Wouldn't it be great if we can actually teach our children even if we have to already start at the very latest during the matric year. But why not start when they are 16, 17, or 18 years old? Teaching them how to become entrepreneurs. Teaching them how to start your own business. Why do we not teach children how to acquire finance? If that is something that you are thinking about. How to enter into a partnership agreement. What to look for in a contractual agreement. What to sign, what not to sign. What to accept, what kind of things should you avoid. Why do we not teach our youngsters how to fill in a tax return? And so there's certain things, certain reforms that I truly believe is required in this nation. But you, you see, there is ultimately this agenda from the higher-ups, those who think they own the world. And we saw it even now, they're in Davos, Switzerland, with the World Economic Forum coming together, where they are making decisions that pretty much affects all of humanity. And there are a few people, which, which in essence, it's a few families, who think they have the say over everyone in the world. A few years ago, the World Economic Forum made the statement that in 2030, you will own nothing and be happy. The Word of God clearly speaks of possessing the land. And so what the world wants to do is to challenge the concept, and even then in South Africa, the constitutional right to own land, to own property. And you know, when we talk about property, it's not just physical property in terms of land. Land that can be worked. Land that can be farmed. Land that can be developed. Land that can be built on. But you know, it even refers to intellectual property. And so when our own nation talks about the expropriation bill, the expropriation of property, it does not define what property actually is. It does not limit it to being only physical property or land. So in essence, government can at any time say that intellectual property that you have, that enables you to run this business very effectively, not only in this nation, but the nations around the world. Bring it here. We want it. We're taking it. We're seizing it. It's ours. Take a hike.
because the World Economic Forum decided that you will own nothing and you will be happy. In other words, what this is trying to say is that you will be reduced to nothing more than a circus animal. You will be reduced to nothing more than a slave with an idea or a concept or a thinking, a thought of freedom. But actually, you're a slave. That is at the heart of this draconian and this Babylonian system that is still at play in the world today. A Babylonian system is what we saw the people of God being under in the land of Egypt. Although it's a Babylonian system, yes, it's Egypt. I know the difference between the two countries. But a Babylonian system is a system that is intentionally designed to keep people poor. Where you work hard and you cannot enjoy the fruit of your labor. That is a Babylonian system where people become slaves and people are reduced to being slaves. But that's not your portion. And so do not believe the lies that somehow when the government owns everything and you can rent it from the government, they'll even say, you know, we'll give you this, we'll give you that. Come on. You know, you do not have to carry the stress, man. We'll take care of all of the stress for you. We'll alleviate all of the pain, all of the pressure that is associated with ownership. We'll take care of all of that while you focus on that which is most important to you. That's how they package it. That's how they sell it. And people eat it up because people are sheep. They don't question. The only time sheep really question things is unfortunately in the church. But when government says something just meh and then they go just running after what is being said that's what they say it has to be true but then the shepherd the pastor says things to the sheep in the church and the sheep meh and then they look around and like by whose authority do you say this so sad that it has to be that way but there is an oppressive system, a Babylonian system that is at play in the world today. And this is why we have to stand for our rights as even as citizens of this country. I was thinking about it earlier as I was driving around a little bit earlier today when I saw these posters where it says register to vote the 3rd and 4th of February. So as I'm saying that, make sure that you are registered to vote. Exercise your democratic and your constitutional right to make your mark. I'm not going to say who to vote for, but I will challenge you to make sure that you are registered to vote. Because having that right, which I want to really say, as it pertains then to the history of this nation, almost feels like a privilege because we understand how hard people had to fight to the point of laying down their lives so that we can have the right to be able to make our mark in a free democratic republic of South Africa. And so let's ensure that we register to vote 
so that we can make our mark and that we as Christians in this nation can say no more no more no more no more theft no more corruption no more plunder you know just taking over stealing This is a defining moment in the history of our nation. And we have to ensure that we show up on that day that we get to the polls. That's just as a side note. And so one of the keys then to eradicating poverty is simply this. It's obedience to God's word. One of the greatest keys to eradicating poverty is obedience to God's word. As I said before, you cannot adhere to any of these keys. You can be as poor as a church mouse, as they say. And you can still go to heaven. But you have this one life to live. On Friday, I did a memorial service. For those of you who saw it or heard about it, a 17-year-old boy who tragically died on the 14th of January. A freak accident. There's actually a few young people who died. But he's one that's here from our community, right here in Somerset West. In the high school that my oldest son also now goes to. We started there in grade eight now, a few weeks ago. And so I was there at this memorial service where the family asked me to, to lead and share. And one of the things that I was asking myself as I was preparing is, what do I say? Because on the one hand, I didn't even know him. So what do you say? But luckily I spent a lot of time with the family and friends and I heard that he loved Jesus. He was actually on a camp which teaches and imparts to young boys with a very strong Christ-centered and biblical-centric message. That's where he spent his final hours. And so that part was sorted out because I could approach that day with confidence knowing where he is because of all the things that family and friends told me. And it's clear. The evidence is there. That made me realize this other thing that many years ago people asked this question that if you were to appear in front of a court of law with the accusation or the charge that you are a Christian, would there be enough evidence to convict you? <laughs> you say you're a Christian, but if you were to appear in a court of law, would there be enough evidence to convict you? And so with that part out of the way, what was left to address is this. He died at the age of 17. 
What do you say? You know what was so powerful as I spent time with his mom and his dad. They're at their home. And the mother says to me, Kevin, if his life had to end at the age of 17 so that other souls could enter into the kingdom of God, then I give God all the glory. And so what I did on Friday is I shared a message about the fact that life is fleeting. We only have this amount of time compared to the eternity that we will spend with the Lord one day. This earth can be regarded as merely a dress rehearsal for the fullness of that which awaits us in heaven. We have this one life to give our all, to be our all, be all that we can be, to become great, to do great and mighty exploits. Because you have to ask yourself that 50 years from now, if you were to pass on today, 50 years from now, will your name be remembered? Will you have left a legacy worth remembering? I was thinking about that. You know what? If I, I'm, I'm sure if I were to ask my boys even now, the name of my grandfather, his father, they would not know. I read this the other day that statistically speaking, your name lives for no more than four generations. The fourth generation has already forgotten your name. It's oblivious to your existence even. Unless you apply, apply one of the principles of dominion, which is to birth something that immortalizes your impact. And you know what took place on Friday? Is that I did an altar call. When I spoke to some of those involved, and I'm going to do this altar call, they were like, oh, well, Kevin, I just hope it's not going to be you know, too awkward because, you know, this is not really like the time or the place. I'm like, listen, this is the best of time. This is the best time. If not now, when? So I said, I'm going to do it. Because the family felt even that, you know what? If that is what his life came down to, giving other people an opportunity to understand that life is fleeting and I have to make a decision, then so be it. And so I did that altar call. And as you know how I do the altar call, I did it pretty much exactly as I do it here. I did it there. And so as I got to that moment where I say, you know, on the count of three, lift up your hands on any one of these invitations. And I, before I even said one, I mean, hands already started going up. The first man I saw was, a, was like a middle-aged man. Gray hair, you know, looks athletic you know he looks like he's a successful man first hand I mean I didn't even get to three he's already lifting his hand when I got to three I saw hands now there were some that were still a little bit shy and a little bit hesitant or reluctant but the hands went up and I saw hands 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 And 
And I was standing there and I was thinking, this, this is so powerful. Because this is what it is about. Here is a man, a boy, who died at the age of 17. That even though he is not here on this earth anymore, he is affecting the lives of people still on this side of eternity. Outside of God, how would that ever have been possible? To affect someone's life to the point of eternity while they have already moved on and entered into that realm of eternity. And so I believe that when they would actually meet in eternity, they would say, you know what, I'm here because of you. Yes, Pastor Kevin led the altar call. And yes, it was Jesus who paid the price for me to bring the invitations to begin with. Yes. But that moment in time was brought about as a result of someone who passed on. And his parents ensured that his life would not come to naught. His life will count for something. Although he touched countless of lives in so many different ways, in social ways, in emotional ways, and so forth, and so forth, during his lifetime. But he affects people's lives from the perspective of eternity. And so I challenge everyone to make their lives count for something. As we play that video asking these questions, who are you and why are you here? There is a quote that comes up from Miles Monroe, which says that the greatest tragedy in life is not death, but life without a purpose. I went on to quote Miles Monroe at the memorial service as well, when he further said, that the greatest, the wealthiest, and most expensive real estate on the face of this earth is not found in New York, it's not in Los Angeles, it's not in Europe somewhere, it's not in Dubai. It's down the road from every single one of us because of the cemetery. Because in the cemetery is buried all the companies that were never started. All the songs that were never written. All the masterpieces that were never painted. All the music never produced. All the unearthed potential and possibilities taken to the grave by those who never made the decision to birth it, to let it come forth, to unearth it, and unleash it. You see, not everything is prevented because of finances. We're so quick to say, well, I would have done this or I would have done that if only I had the finances. But even the Bible makes it very clear that you should not despise the day of humble beginnings. 
You do not have to start with a multi-billion dollar business. There's nothing wrong in you just selling fudge on the side. Selling fruit, selling veg, selling water, selling cool drink at the robot. There's nothing wrong with that. You know, when it catches on, I mean, you can employ people. You can be at more stops. And then eventually it can become a bigger business. Or you could have that going and you've got people now employed to run that side of the business. And because you've already moved on to something else, now you've got a diverse portfolio. Now you can say you own a group of companies. <laughs> on the one hand, you're selling the cool drinks, but now you're selling T-shirts. You've got some product that you are making or whatever the case may be. We are living in a day and age that presents opportunities to us that those who have gone before us never, ever had. And so we are so quick to say, well, I do not have the money. Well, there's certain things that we can start that doesn't really require much. As much as we can say, and yes, there's a point to be made that sometimes you have to spend money to make money, and that's true. But then there's other things that you can do in the meantime that might not co cost you that much. Where you simply need to become resourceful and look at what you have. And as I said last week, when we ask ourselves, what do we have? We are quick to say we have nothing. Because it comes and it stems from a poverty mentality that has gripped us for too long. Because whenever we consider what we have, we always just think of ourselves as, I do not have the means. I have nothing. I have nothing and I have nothing to offer. And that is a poverty mentality. And so we have to deal with that once and for all. Let me just end with this tonight and then I'm going to pray over every single one that if you've brought things, if you, I'm going to have us line up and we're going to do that just now. But let me just say this. In Isaiah 54, verse 17, it says that no weapon that is formed against thee shall prosper. And every tongue that shall rise against thee in judgment thou shalt condemn. This is the heritage of the servants of the Lord. And their righteousness is of me, saith the Lord. When you look at that word heritage, as I was saying in the beginning, it is defined as possessions, as property, as inheritance, or then heritage. In the Bible, in the King James Version, you can find the, this particular word being utilized 222 times. 191 of those occurrences, it speaks of inheritance. Heritage. In other words, it is something that has been made available to you already. It's available to you. It has been allocated towards you. It is accessible. Now people might say, well, an inheritance is only, or it only comes into play when someone has passed on. Well, if you read the book, it says, that Jesus died, that he was buried, and three days 
later, he rose in victory. That is why the Bible goes on to then say that we are heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. So you are not a sub, sub, sub-heir. You are a co-heir. So in other words, what belongs to Jesus belongs to you. Just think about that. Think about the power of that statement. When it comes to this, we almost have to ask ourselves, what more do we need to hear before we believe? What more do we need? What more do you want before you will make the decision to say, you know what, all that God's word says, I can have. I believe it. I receive it now in Jesus' name. That I have what God's word says I can have. I can do what God's word says I can do. That is the realm that we have to enter into. A greater dimension of faith. And finally this. This word if. If. There are so many people who use the words if only. If only I could get that million rand. If only I could have been born to that family. If only I could have been born in America or in Europe or whatever. If only this, if only that, if only the pandemic didn't happen. You know, if only I I had better grades in school. If only I could go to a better school. only I could go to university if only I did not have this kind of father if only I did not have this kind of mother if only I had parents and we can come up with so many things as a means of justification of where we're at it's not my fault it's that one it's that one it's that one it's this situation and that condition The Lord showed me one of the greatest paradigm shifts that we can ever undergo and undertake is this, is shifting from that place of if only to what if. What if? What if you start that business and it actually takes off? What if you apply to that university and you actually get accepted? What if you make that investment and even within two years, it is worth 10 times as much? What if you only dare to love again after you were betrayed, after you were hurt, after you may have even vowed, I will never trust or love again? The Bible also speaks of this particular if, and it's such a powerful if. In Romans 8.31, that if God, if God be for us, who can be against us? 
I can keep you here all night. I can keep you here all week. I can keep you here for the rest of the year, giving you scripture upon scripture upon scripture upon scripture. As it pertains to prosperity over poverty, the question is, whose report are you going to believe? What do you believe? And now the question is, how do you respond? That's the question. You know what, let's do this. I've never done this with you before. I wanted to do it last year, but we just, I don't know, I never felt to release to do it, but tonight I felt to do this. It is something that I received from Dr. Rodney, and uh, he wrote this, which was inspired by the writings of the late T.L. Osborne. And so as I've been referring to those who have made a vow of poverty, this is a vow of prosperity. And so if you are willing, and if you are ready to make this vow tonight, well then, you're at the right place at the right time. And so what I'm going to do is I'm just going to say this, and you can just say it after me. But before we do that, I just want you to close your eyes. And I just want you to settle this once and for all as to what it is that you believe. Because I do not want you just to say this after me like some parrot. And it carries no power. That nothing happens in the spirit. Because it's just empty words. Okay, so we're going to just say this out loud. And I'm not going to read all the, the scriptures and things as well. So I'm just going to... If you want the scripture references, I can give it to you afterwards. Okay, so you're ready. Oh, no, you're like... Is it the Anakirdu? Are you ready? Fantastic. Okay, say this. Dear Lord, I thank you for your promises of material abundance for my life. You do not will poverty and need any more than you will sin and sickness. I am thankful to know your great salvation delivers me not only from my sins, but from their consequences, from all the works of the devil that have been sent to steal, kill, and destroy my heritage. When you created material abundance in this earth, you demonstrated that you want your children to enjoy it and utilize it. You placed 
rich treasures here. Not for unbelievers to monopolize. But for the prosperity, facility, and blessing of your children who carry out your will among people. Thank you, Lord. Your word says, I shall not lack any good thing. You shall supply all my need. You wish above all things that I prosper and be in health even as my soul prospers. Thank you, Lord, that you have pleasure in the prosperity of your servants. Thank you for your promise to make me plenteous in goods. I believe that you have commanded your blessing upon me in all that I set my hand to. I believe that Christ redeemed me from the curse of poverty and evil, of lack and destitution. I will, from this day, honor you with my substance and with the first fruits, not leftovers, of all my increase. So shall my bonds be filled with plenty. I now know that the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. I realize that riches and wealth are the gift of God. So long as I do not love money or seek to store it up or trust in riches, you will make my way prosperous and I shall have good success. I will bring my first fruits, my first and my best, my tithes and my offerings to you for your work as you commanded. And I shall prove your word by acting upon it. I believe you will open heaven's windows and pour me out blessings and harvests of much more than I bring to you according to your promise. I understand that loving is giving and giving is planting and whatever I sow I shall also reap. I will begin planting and since you are the God of miracles I know that even 
if it requires a material miracle like multiplying the boy's lunch to feed a multitude you will do it to guarantee my harvest your word cannot return to you void and the scriptures cannot be broken I now realize that although there is suffering and poverty around me this is Satan's work not yours you do not will these evils any more than you will that we live in sin I am your child you are my father I have my roots in divine royalty you were rich yet for my sake you became poor that I through your poverty might be rich materially as well as physically emotionally and spiritually you are my creator and you live in me I am blessed a member of your royal family where prosperity is regained amen and then now it would be good for us if we decide now to make this oath of prosperity so you can say this after me this is short and sweet say this I vow never to be poor and indignant again since my father created the wealth of this planet for me to enjoy I vow never to be unable to reach out and lift others in need God is in me and he is rich I vow to always appropriate God's best in life so that I can enjoy his abundance myself and so I can share his abundance with others in need the Lord is my shepherd I will not want my brimming cup overflows amen hallelujah come on can we give the Lord a hand amen and so with that one final act one decisive final blow to the enemy I want us to give an opportunity or get an opportunity to to sow a seed and to honor the Lord and this this evening after we've made these vows I mean really what comes to mind is give like you've never given before the devil is a liar he is a defeated foe and tonight the spirit of poverty has been dealt with once and for all and so not do not 
just get into that space of, you know what, we've listened to the word, we've made this vow. This is a weapon of mass destruction. Because it is in our ability to respond by faith to give that we say to the devil, devil, you do not own us. Devil, you cannot put us down. Irrespective of how things are or how things might look or how things might be, you have the final word. You have the final say. And tonight, let our giving from tonight, not just tonight, but from tonight, even reflect that reality. And so, Lord, I thank you for tonight. Lord, I thank you for the powerful impartation and activation, the deliverance, the demonstration of your supernatural power of how we have dealt the devil this final blow where we say hands off our finances, hands off our marriage, hands off our family, hands off our children, hands off our children's children. For we are blessed and highly favored. Father, I thank you for this opportunity even now to give, to sow. As we say, we trust you wholeheartedly. As we say that nothing will ever take your place. That nothing will ever be as important as you are in our lives. I pray that even from tonight, our giving will reflect our faith in you. That our giving will reflect that we trust you wholeheartedly. That our giving will reflect that we seek you first in every single thing that we do. And so, Lord, I thank you for all that has happened, for all that you've done, and by faith for all that you will continue to do. We receive it. Victory over every situation. I thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. We can come to the front. We can sow. As the Spirit of the Lord leads for those of you who are watching by means of this broadcast. Thank you for listening all the way to the end. If you'd like to help Kevin and Chantel reach and impact this generation, thank you in advance for sharing this episode with your world. If you have enjoyed Dominion today, follow Kevin and Chantel on Instagram, Facebook, and your favorite podcast platform, or connect with them online at dominion.org.za.